Hello, welcome to another episode of The High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing well, yourself? Always good. We're always good. Yeah. Got a special yeah. guest in the podcast room with us today, Steve Antover, all oh, the Steve. way from West Central Iowa. What's the town's name? Carroll. Carroll, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Said he battled the snow and blowing blizzard conditions to get out here with us today. Right, he's glad to be in this weather, and we're kind of wishing it would go away. <laughs> exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, I can handle this. So uh, Steve is the director of uh, R&D support with Winfield United. But first, Steve, I don't know if you're aware or not, but we always have the question of the day. And the guest gets to go first. Okay. And the question of the day today, <laughs> yeah, I see the <laughs> Look at the excitement. If, is he, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the fear right. in, his, in his eyes. That's right. Easy question. What song brings back childhood memories? And what are they? Oh, man. Yeah. You can go a lot of directions with that. That's right. right. Remember, uh, this is a G-rated, G-13. Yeah, right. well, no, I'll, I'll yeah. stay G-rated for sure. I, All right. <laughs> when you're talking childhood memories, huh? uh, I'll start with the memories probably, right? Uh, yeah. And childhood, big range, right? Yeah, it is. I, but um, one, th- one thing I re- that brings a lot of memories back is AM radio because uh, our tractors – and, sure. and even the 81 Chevy, you know, pickup that we drove on the farm uh, only had AM radio. Your and, fender mount so, radio? Yeah. We had nice. Fender mount on the 4020. And, nice. And so we'd be out harvesting or doing, uh, cultivating, doing field work. And I always wanted to look for a station that, that wasn't country music. And not that I have anything against country music, but you there, was only, than that, there, huh? there was only <laughs> one station and it was, it was oldies. So anytime I hear a, a 60s, type oldies that was considered oldies at the time uh in the 80s so things like uh uh dion and the belmonts or frankie valley or anytime i hear songs like that if i had to pick one i i don't know i mean maybe the marcells uh blue moon or something (laughs) yeah Yeah, there there you go i I mean you go back to field cultivation that one specifically reminds me i was sitting i think i was sitting on the 4020 and my coveralls uh it was cold out and we're hauling corn in listening to blue moon yeah because it was not country that's right well you didn't have many choices on am radio i mean you had uh forty thousand watts of pure christian power or you know the the uh religious programming or all the country stations or 60s yeah, yeah. that's right yeah there's one station. and it always had that radio that it didn't matter how big the field was on one end of the field it would go out yeah and you'd have to drive back into it sure that's fun a good one that is a good one Ryan? Oh, so it's me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Probably the one that sticks out in my mind is my dad was never one to sing or be all that much into music, but there's a Don Williams song from back in the 70s uh, called Some Broken Hearts Never Mend. Uh-huh. And my dad would sing that song, and I remember j- crawling in his pickup truck, and he would be ta- taking me to school or to babysitter or something. I was pretty little, but I remember crawling up in that, and when that would come on, he'd He'd turn it, and it, it wasn't like he was singing to anyone. He was just, he would just sing that song. And, yeah. Uh, so that yeah, takes me back to being, being little to the stage. I had to crawl up into the floorboard and then crawl up into the seat. But yeah, that's uh, that takes huh. me back to that time. So that's Don Williams, cool. "Some Broken Hearts Never Mend" sticks out. Huh. Yeah, Ryan's got that classic country voice over the. He does, here, doesn't, doesn't he? he? <laughs> He's got that that's a, radio voice. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, <laughs> face face for radio. Sure, sure, Sal. Well, mine's kind of strange. It's um, this this has to has to be the answer because only this one really pops out. 
in our cafeteria at the uh, high school where I went to high school at, in the cafeteria they had a they put a jukebox in there back in the uh, probably eighty two three time frame maybe eighty four somewhere in there, and they put a jukebox in the cafeteria, and there was a girl in our class, and every day she would go up there and put a dollar in would probably pay a, play a significant At least 10 if you listen right? to the song, if you put another dime in the jukebox. And uh-huh. she would play Jack and Diane by uh, <laughs> uh, really? Mellencamp. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. Every, You're in Seymour, Indiana, and you uh, hung up on isn't, that? Isn't that odd? <laughs> yeah. So I'm in Seymour, Indiana. This is where the office, our corporate office. And uh, uh, John Cougar Mellencamp at, at the, uh, I think just John at Mellencamp now. I don't know what he goes by, but. Anyhow, every day it was Jack and Diane, and of course every day at school you had hamburgers and French fries. That was the option, and or you could get the plate lunch. So I can't hear that song without thinking about French fries. Nice and <laughs> high school hamburgers. So that's it. Well, that's it's my- funny when you think about music and it sends you back to your childhood. So I listened to we're just coming out of the holiday season a few weeks ago, and and I listened to these old classic Christmas. And man, I tell you what, those songs will take you. Those yeah. songs will take Burl Ives or somebody like that singing those Christmas songs. You're like, oh, I remember, I remember that. Thinking well, of Frosty the Snowman. Oh yeah, laying on the living room floor and watching Rudolph or something. And yeah, it's just been with my grandparents, fun. and that was when all the cigarette smoke everybody smoked. Of course, you yeah. laid you laid under the it cigarette the, smoke. It was the, <laughs> yeah. the temperature inversion layer of the wood stove and the cigarette smoke. Yeah. You had a whole layer. Yeah, we, we laid on our bellies and watched TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the twenty inch TV or whatever. Yeah, you had to stay TV. close because somebody had to change it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, get to something serious. So. Okay. <laughs> Well, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, kind of your career path and and, uh, how you got to Winfield United and what you do with Winfield United today. Well, okay. Uh, We can start with career path. Um, I I started out as a a retail seller at at West Central Co-op in in Western Iowa, in my hometown, actually. Um, In high school, I I took a lot of science classes in in math, and I, I was really prepping to become an engineer, but about the time I senior year i i decided i probably just couldn't leave the farm i, I enjoyed okay. row, row crop production too much uh we had livestock too so i, I grew up on a corn soy livestock farm and and cattle uh, feedlot or uh, no not cattle uh it was hogs hogs uh, yep. farrow to finish and and we did the hard way too and in, in outdoor barns and you know, oh wow so that was part of my reason for going to college right <laughs> <laughs> I went to ended up going to Iowa State and getting a degree in agronomy because I, okay. I love science and and so I went the agronomy route instead of ag biz. But uh, my intention was to come home and farm and and uh, uh, you, you just never know w- what direction your career is going to go. Right when you come out of school, you just follow a path at the time. And uh, so I took a job as a salesman and uh, really enjoyed agronomy and and started to build build a career. Um, Along the way, answer plots came along, and one of the first answer plots was at my location in Audubon, where I, that I served, and and so I got connected there uh, early on. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, along the way, I decided to go back to school and pick up a master's in agronomy. And uh, while you were still a uh, seller, yeah, well, I was still a seller, still close to home. Yep, still close to home. And I also had had met what what would be my future wife and and ended up moving to uh central iowa and worked for heartland co-op for a short amount of time 
uh, finished my master's in, and um, uh, at the time, Land O'Lake Seed Company, right? Uh, yeah. Going back a ways, uh, there wasn't a Winfield or Winfield United. Uh, one of the folks I'd met through Answer Plots at Land O'Lake Seed Company called me up and said, hey, we're expanding the Answer Plot program. Uh, would you want to come work for us? And I'm like, well, okay. Uh, sure, what, what are you talking? And, and he said, Wisconsin, we need, we need a guy in Wisconsin. I was like, uh, they grow corn in Wisconsin? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's up there? <laughs> yeah, they did. It was a great experience. Uh, funny deal, though, a funny story. Uh, while I was a seller in Audubon, uh, we did sell some alfalfa there once in a while. and Cropland alfalfa. Tin bags. Yeah, tin bags. <laughs> it was enough that my DSM decided to take us to, to West Salem, where the FGI wow. uh, uh, breeding station is there. And I'll never forget, we were, we were going on a tour of that breeding station. I was like, that'd be pretty cool to work here. And three years to the day, I was living two miles from that breeding station. No way. Working, nice. working for that. Just funny where life takes you. That's you don't even cool. expect it. I, I never would have expected that. But uh, huh. yeah. So anyway, I spent uh four years in wisconsin I, I spent seven years as a retail seller at those two co-ops and then um i spent four years in wisconsin as a research manager in the answer plot system and along the way the program had grown enough uh we had to split out some product management duties and operational duties of like you know boss at the time and so i took over operations for for all of answer plots in about 2009 oh my goodness wow. yeah and i've been doing that since and then along the way you also accumulate other duties, right? So, so operations for answer plots. Tell us a little bit about what all that involves. Yeah. So answer plots is is kind of like research on the road. We don't have stations like like a lot of research organizations do. We we have remote crews. They live in their territories. They have equipment, but we 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 manage you know all their equipment and supply needs through a, a central hub in in Iowa. And then we, we truck things out where we need them uh, when the season calls for it. Uh, so uh, we, we call it a hub and uh, spoke approach to, to doing research. And so we have the, the remote teams, and then we have a shared operations facility at, at Vincent, Iowa, that serves all of those remote teams with supplies. So, okay. Yeah. All right. And then now to the role you're in today. Yeah. So still doing that, but – um, gosh, I got a great group of managers and they, they take care of the day-to-day business. So, um, SureTech Labs, uh, is now, now falls under my responsibilities. I, and I, Jody, uh, James is our lab manager, does all the, you know, all the work pretty much. I, <clears throat> my, my role there is just to try to connect them to a broader Winfield United strategy and, and look for opportunities and with technology. So, you might just delve into SureTech Labs just for a minute, what, yeah, what they yeah. do, uh, just to make sure our listeners understand yeah, yeah. What, you're, what you're talking about. Uh, SureTech Labs is a <clears throat> full-service soil and, and feed analysis lab located in Indianapolis. Um, we, we've been part of the the Land O'Lake system for 20-some years. Oh, well, no. I, it'd be longer I, you know than what? that. It'd yeah. be since the 70s in yep. some way, shape, wow. or form. It had probably had different names along the way, but um, it evolved into a, a state-of-the-art uh, soil lab number one, but also we do feed analysis, water analysis, uh, you name it. So, kind of explain uh, for the listeners what that on our end we know what it kind of looks like with soil sampling and and um, you know we we go out in the fields and we'll pull these soil samples and then we'll package them up in bags that have QR codes so we can reference them back and then we ship them off to the lab. So, kind of tell us what happens at the lab when they get this sample in. 
Well, yeah, at the lab, they, they, number one is they, they scan those barcodes, right, uh, to create a unique identifier. So there's a sample works its way through the lab through a number of different analyses. Um, the data that comes from those can always be connected back to that unique identifier. And then that data through, through API interfaces comes back to the customer and they can feed into their precision systems. Sure. However. Okay. If you want to talk about the analysis, the actual analyses, I, I'm not the guy to do I that. I saw the look in your eyes for that, too. <laughs> yeah, right? That was almost yeah. like the so question. Of the day. This, yeah. If, you, if yeah. you want to know the instruments, yeah, yeah let's get Jody. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's, uh, we talk, we've referenced the answer plot. So what is an answer plot, and um, how many of them do you have scattered across yeah. the area? And it, thanks for asking, right? It, how, many right. Do you, how many do you think there are? <laughs> so there's a rule. That guests don't yeah. get to ask questions <laughs> to better. the host, right? <laughs> works a lot right. better if the guests don't yeah. ask us questions. Yeah, okay. so, so maybe you don't want to come back, but that's a quick way to get booted off is to ask us questions. <laughs> so so that my answer to that is I'm guessing there's several. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like the question because there are a lot of uh, – I always like to hear what people think, you know, or about or what their perception of the program is. And so there, there are actually 95 answer plots that – uh, you know, it, it, the question itself is difficult just because there are answer plot activities that are that are executed by my internal team, and then we do a lot of contract work uh, with outside contractor uh, organizations. So there are actually 95 answer plots that are planted, sprayed, ma you know, harvested, maintained by my crews internally, and then there there might be another 40 or 50 contract locations of, of performance testing or something simple that we have out there. Not that that, okay. like how's the yeah. farthest, where's the farthest one? South, North, East, West, like sort uh, of what's Louis that range? Louisiana okay. uh, would be our furthest South North. Um, shoot. I'm trying to think of the name of the North Dakota city, but at North, okay. North central North Dakota. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if city and North Dakota really yeah. go together. <laughs> State of North Dakota. Yes. There you go. Right, <laughs> and so so you do all the uh, the your the crews do all the planting and harvesting, and then um, what do they do? I guess to what end? What are we trying to find out in these answer plots? Yeah, well, let's break this into two things. Um, what answer plots have always been about is, is number one training uh, training for sellers. I, the greatest thing that appealed to me as a seller. Uh, was I could learn about products in depth, uh, and it built my confidence in positioning those with, with my farmer customers. And so that, that's always been a priority and still is. Uh, we have demonstration plots that we use in, in a various number of ways to, to accomplish that. Um, but number two is always uh, proven performance locally. If, you know, 95 locations doesn't give us ultra-local performance information, but uh, it does give us geographic a geographic spread to understand products better and and help position them better and, and build better brands for for Winfield United and, and our owners so to, yeah that's yeah, neat so it's, it's got two things yeah. Yeah. one is just training for our own education mm -hmm. the staying staying up to date up to current on on the ever evolving science of of agriculture and then the uh, second thing is just to to test the products, right? Yeah. The seed or the or the uh, pesticides, whichever one we're going to look at, to see how how well they work. Yeah. The I guess the you know when I was a young seller, I was twenty three years old and out of school, and I was asked to sell seed, and I was like, 
I don't know anything about okay. the seed business. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> how is that? <laughs> yeah, right. I can't sympathize with that at all. <laughs> it, you know, and it started there. Seed was our biggest focus for the first, um, well, for the first 10 years just about. And then Winfield came together as a company, and, and we transformed from uh, kind of a ragtag seed testing and demonstration program to a, a comprehensive, you know, applied agronomic research organization. Wow. So to what extent do you control, I mean, I remember the response to nitrogen's response to pop. So like what, what all do you, what all do you do with a hybrid? So you put a hybrid in and we get a lot of plot data that, that we see come back across all different kinds of brands that said, well, it made 350 bushel the acre here. Right. And you don't know what, I mean, without some control. So what are you checking for? Well, w specific to seed. Yeah. Seed. Yeah. Specific instance. to seed. Yeah. We're, we're trying to characterize our, our hybrids um, in a way that, that and a seller can differentiate or position better with a grower for a higher probability of success. So, yeah, how how dense should you plant uh, a given hybrid, right? What what's the optimal there? Um, the, also, response to nitrogen, it, it, we are testing that. Yeah, and, and our goal is to understand, um, you know, how how to spread your nitrogen dollar better, right? Uh, whether it gets used that way, we we hope it does. Uh, but but lately, uh, and and then another one is response to fungicide. How can you have the most success with fungicide? We we know the the number of acres uh, treated with a fungicide uh, don't match up with what our data tells should be treated with fungicide. Hmm. Okay. And so we, we know there are factors that, that influence success with, with fungicide applications, at least in corn. And we, we've, uh, we've found some great insights there, but, but along with those great insights uh, come more questions. We believe there's a, an interaction between nitrogen and fungicide and, and success rate. And so that's something we're still trying to answer questions to, but it's, um, it's amazing how many variables yeah. that you have to do and, and to, to kind of eliminate those variables, explain how we get good data. I mean, sometimes I know farmers can become kind of cynical about data whenever everybody that pulls in their driveway, yeah. <laughs> they, everybody's got the best stuff, right? Everything you got adds 10 bushels. Yeah. I had a farmer yeah. tell me one time, if that's You're the right. case, I ought to be raising 4,000 bushels. Right. <laughs> so they get kind of cynical about data. So tell us about the data from the answer plot. And one you know, we're a cooperative, Winfield United's cooperative, Land Lakes cooperative, Premier Ag's cooperative locally, and we're, we're telling you what we're selling you. And so tell what makes the data so strong out of the, out of the answer plot system? Well, first of all, growers should be skeptical. I mean, especially when you don't have context around what you see, um, in answer plots, we can give that context, uh, everybody's going to say they're the best and they do everything right. All I can say is, you know, that's a focus of our team is, is quality and knowing that we're a co-op system. A lot of, a lot of my employees probably came up in the oh, re yeah. retail system and, and have, you know, they, they feel it's their duty uh, to provide quality data and accurate data. And so we have systems in place. Other companies have systems in place. I don't, you know, uh, to, to say that's a differentiator, I don't know, but, uh, we're, we feel like we're looking for things that that we get, you know, there's no reason to, to mask what, what we're finding. Uh, you know, uh, sometimes transparency is the best mm -hmm. part of that, right? 
What's a explain the LSD and why that's so important? Oh well, <laughs> um, yeah. So so a lot of data clips you see in in magazines or whatever they they probably just show a bushel number and of of improvement on you know. Uh, but it, all that tells you is well, okay, that was an observation. Um, and LSD, I don't know how deep you want to go. I, I, this is I'm passionate about this one, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I, and LSD. <laughs> Ryan and I will be back. Uh, we'll, right. we'll start. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Carl, well, just tell us when he's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just, just to be simple, I mean, w- when you're comparing the means of uh, of two two different samples in a in a in a trial, um, you, we use LSD as a calculation to understand you know whether the sampling error is greater than than the the difference between the means, right? So. Uh, if you have a 10 bushel difference between two hybrids, but when you look at the repetitions, uh, the differences are 20 bushels from one rep to the other, but the mean is greater than this one. Eh, the, the, the act there, we can't honestly say with confidence that there's a difference between those two in performance. Hmm. So those are important things to know. And then you actually tell what the, what the LSD is and every, yeah, we share that information. We, we, we're not shy about it. We publish, uh, uh, most of our performance data, uh, with an LSD calculated in, at a 90% confidence interval, which uh, when you see university publications, they use 95. But we're using a little farmer sense there. We're like, okay, if I'm a farmer and I'm looking at, at an LSD of, at, at a 95% confidence interval versus 90, I'm like, I'll trust the 90. I'll take, I'll take a chance that, that 10% of error is you know, reasonable. And so Yeah, just kind of a, a different concept to get your head around that one one hybrid might win by by five or six or seven bushels, but if the LSD yeah. is is a is eight yeah, yeah. or something, but right. you know that the, those two hybrids we can't say that one's better than right, the other right. one. There's still a chance that they are different, but we we can't say that with confidence. You know, sure. So how do you pick a spot for the answer plot? We all know that uh, we take yield data from what we call our ice cream ground. Uh, do you irrigate yeah. any of them? You make sure, sure they're tiled. So what, what's a, what makes a spot for an answer plot? Well, that's a great question. Um, there are a number of factors that go into them, right? First of all, we want them close to aligned owners, right? So they can use the demos. Uh, so, so geography does matter. Uh, and I hate to say it, sometimes uh, uh, being on a paved road matters, right? Yeah, I, all your roads are paved out here, aren't they? Yeah, so most back, of them are now. You know, they are now. <laughs> back home, we, yeah. we still have gravel, and some of the best fields are out on gravel roads. Sure. Right? Um, but, you know, quality of ground, consistency. Um, you mentioned ice cream ground. Yes, we end up on a lot of ice cream ground because typically consistency goes together with, with quality and uh, the quality of ground, you know, right? But we, we look at a number of factors. We look at imagery. We look at... Uh, we look at drainage maps. We look look at tile maps to try to understand. You know, is is this going to lead to good research? But we also, um, w- you know, when we design our trials, uh, we dimension the reps to try to give us the best you know success rate on a number of types of ground. So, you know, even in the in the south, there are a lot of sand blows. Uh, you know, maybe you have some of those around here too, but. Uh, that can cause a lot of trial problems with with trial designs, and and so, you know, having your reps built right helps helps alleviate some of that variability in the field. Mm-hmm. Steve, there's a lot of things under your responsibility for uh, R and D support. How do you? What's the connection between all those? How do you? What do you? So you got the the lab where you test the soil. You've got a 
an answer plot over here where you're testing the seed and how do all these things connect? Yeah. Well, are you guys familiar with our innovation center? No, I should, I should go back. Uh, the, the team I currently serve, I didn't get this far with the career question, uh, is, is our, you know, it just changed. So I got to come up with a new name, right? It's, it's, it's basically our, our R and D team, our Winfield United R and D. You can uh, name it right now, yeah, Steve. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I serve on a team uh, with colleagues like like Dr. Mark Risley, who heads up our innovation center in, in River Falls, Wisconsin. Uh, what what they do is is develop new crop protection, plant nutrient performance products, and and uh, and bring them to market. Right. We we work hand in hand with them to to take those products from development. Uh, to a later stage in answer plots where we can teach people about them and, and, and test performance on a broader scale. So that's, that's one connection there. Um, SureTech Labs, we work with SureTech on fertility things all the time. Uh, also, our forage samples from our, our corn silage testing uh, goes to SureTech. And, and so SureTech's a valuable part of, of research projects within where we're actually one of SureTech's biggest customers. Okay, so. Yeah, and then FGI. I can't. I can't even forget about FGI. Oh, yeah. uh, the best alfalfa in the world. Um, we have an, uh, an alfalfa breeding program that's top notch, and and uh, they connect in too with with uh, our seed and and CP businesses. And uh, what's for um, our listeners? What's why is out? Why is alfalfa important? Where is that used? I know that you you know, but. Uh, what do we use alfalfa for? Well, we think of corn yeah. and soybeans down here. Yeah, if you're in Iowa or Southern Indiana or Illinois, so in Wisconsin, a lot of alfalfa. Yeah. So what do they do with it, that? So Land Lakes is a dairy company, <laughs> and and so uh, the the dairy market where where the cows are is where we sell our alfalfa, right? And and we actually have uh, between licensed brands and everything, we have somewhere around sixty percent market share with FGI germplasm. Uh, nationwide wow. and we have a, we have a global presence too in china uh alfalfa it, it, you know when i moved to wisconsin that's one thing i got to learn about a lot i, I mean, bet we, we had alfalfa in iowa but it was like vernal and, and sunrise, buffalo right? Remember, buffalo right? alfalfa, alfalfa, alfalfa buffalo here <laughs> <laughs> and and so you learn a lot about what makes uh quality feed uh in the bunk for for dairy cows or or, or beef but uh in wisconsin mainly dairy but uh, Wisconsin's one of the biggest market share areas for us, but also South Dakota, the, the I-29 corridor, there's a fair amount of dairy cows there, and we have a lot of market share there as a company, and, and so alfalfa is important to us. Very good. Right. Well, uh, Steve, do you have any, what else is uh, going on in Winfield United? What other upcoming projects do you have? Uh, I know you got uh, Glenda coming in here this afternoon. So, what other upcoming projects is is happening in Winfield? Oh gosh, um, right now is our our big planning period. You know, the the, the answer plot teams, uh, FDI, everybody's working on land leases and and uh, project finalization. Um, seed packaging will start here in oh two, wow two to three weeks, and and then equipment prep and and uh, we'll be planting in in Louisiana here first of march or or last last week of february so got to be labor intensive isn't it to yeah. uh, get all those uh, trial bags and and all the equipment shipped out to almost 100 different sites and and then plus the ones that you're contracting for correct getting all that broken out and how many so with the uh, the local teams how many how big is their areas 
like one state or yeah, it kind depend, of depends? depends on the area, but we used to say about a state size, you know, we have an Indiana crew that, that covers all of Indiana and, and sometimes they'll run down to, to Tennessee for something, Kentucky, uh, not, not so much, but, and, and then in North Dakota, we have three teams, you know, because of the, the variation, we have a diverse crops team that has wheat, canola and sunflowers and, and, uh, uh, they dip into the into South Dakota a bit too, but all right. Well, that's all I've got, Ryan. Do you have anything else? Nope. I appreciate it. I, yeah. I know we've all benefited from the answer plots through the years, no doubt. It's good so. to have the uh, data. One of the things that those are reflected in is the uh, it's uh, it's available on the seller's iPads. I mean, it comes yeah. through with those CHT charts where they can quickly go through and reference the years of data that they've got, and it's pretty neat how they go through that and use the answer plot data to select the hybrids for the growers. Yeah, well, thanks for your support. Yeah. Thanks right. for having Absolutely. me today. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. you bet. Well, that's another episode of The High Ground, powered by Premier Companies. And uh, please like and subscribe. And if you make comments or have questions down in the comments section, we'd be glad to answer them. Yep. Thank you all. Right. all. Thank you all. Bye.